The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last time that we will speak before the roster is at 53. Reminder, 53, not 55. You still have to cut to 53. Very important. There was some oscillating rumors back and forth earlier this offseason that it's actually a 55-man roster. It is not. It is still a 53-man roster. They still have to cut to 53. So this is the second and final 53-man roster projection podcast, and it is a time-sensitive podcast. Tell everyone you know you have to listen to Friday's episode of the Bruce Exclusive quickly. You cannot wait till next week, or I will inevitably look very, very stupid. And I do not want to look any stupider than I already have a tendency to do. But alongside me today to help me look stupid is Greg Tomset from the Cover One Buffalo podcast. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I I can't imagine a better afternoon than looking stupid with a man like yourself. Well, you know what? I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. If you have to look stupid with someone, it might as well be alongside friends, right? I love it. I love it. I feel good about it. I'm ready, and I am going to embarrass myself with the best of them. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. I remember last year, Greg, the big roster question was Ray Ray, Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams. Who gets that final roster spot? That was a big thing. I did an entire pod on just that last wide receiver position, and which one of those three was going to make the roster for just for the purposes of taking the L, which I talked about on yesterday's pod. I had Duke Williams going over Isaiah McKenzie, and I got that one wrong. Who did you have, Greg, in that last spot? I did have that one. I I did have McKenzie. Um, I did not have anything with Ray Ray that, you know, in, in going down that path. And I remember last year, 
there were so many, you know, armchair hindsight people uh, throwing out there. Oh, I talked about, you know, LaShawn McCoy getting cut. I, I mentioned that. I'm like, oh, yeah, show me where you projected that. Because there wasn't a single person. Everybody talked about the potential. Everybody talked about how it could happen because of the salary cap. Everybody thought it might happen back in March. No one projected that before the 53-man cut down. So I, I don't know that I expect that level of shock for uh, Saturday, but uh, it'll be interesting if we see it. When the time came to put the ink on paper and to put the audio file out into te- interwebs, no one had the intestinal fortitude to claim that LaShawn McCoy was going to get cut. Now, I don't think intestinal fortitude of that nature will be necessary for this particular exercise. But what we are going to do today is we are going to do dueling 53-man roster projections. And I say dueling in a very light sense. They're actually going to be antagonizing each other. There will be no fencing involved. There will be no referee keeping points. That's not how this works. No taking off a white glove and slapping the other in the face, nothing. Maybe a little of that, just a small <laughs> amount of that. I think there's a raise hand function in Zencaster, the uh, thing that we're using to record. I think what I can do is I can just raise my hand while I'm talking and it will kind of signify a slap across your face. And then you can, maybe we mash the buttons and we get like a slapping war and then we crash I'm the entire system. It. It'll be great. I'm prepared for it. All right, let's do it. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to establish a couple ground rules. First off, What we're going to do is we're going to kind of oscillate back and forth. I'll start, then you go. I'll start, then you go. And even if we have the same group for a position, we're still going to go through why we think that's the case, because that's really what this is about. This is a thought exercise. 53-man roster projections are not necessarily about getting it right. It's about examining the potential avenues that a team could go through based on their history, based on the things we're able to dissect and pull out of some comments, regardless of how coach speak they might be, things that we think are part of strategies and roster building tendencies. These are the thought processes. This is one of the reasons why I enjoy 53-man roster projections. I don't necessarily enjoy them because getting them right is awesome. It's just like mock drafts. Mock drafts are not about getting it right. Mock drafts are about walking through all the potential avenues. It's the same reason why teams do mock drafts. Teams do mock drafts so they can walk through all the potential avenues and be prepared. And that's the same reason why you, Mr. and Mrs. Listener, should be consuming this pod right now. We are going to start right off the top with quarterbacks. And because you are my esteemed guest, Greg, I am going to let you start. All right. So I think this is one that has started out with a consensus and I think it's shifted to a new consensus. I think that I'll be a little surprised if if you differ here. Um, And I think this is where you're seeing most people go. I think it's a two man room. I think it's Josh Allen and Matt Barkley. And I honestly think Davis Webb is the practice squad priority over Jake Fromm. Although I won't be shocked if both get retained just for the overall you know, conservative nature of COVID and having that fourth uh, mind in the room just in case. But I think it's two on the roster, and I think Webb is the priority over from in the practice squad. I oscillated back and forth between three and two here, not because Sean McDermott is ever shown a tendency to keep three quarterbacks, because he hasn't, but rather because if there ever there was a year to have an exception and keep three, this would be the year. But then I would also say that if they kept three, I think Davis Webb would get the priority over Jake Fromm based on the camp reports, based on the work that Davis Webb did in the offseason and the way that his offensive coaches have spoken about his abilities and how prepared he is. I would 
say if you were to keep three, it might not be Jake Fromm as the third. I also have two. I have Allen and Barkley. I agree with you that there will be a quarterback on the practice squad. I would not be shocked if there were two of them. There is an argument to be made here about Sean McDermott not liking to cut draft picks. And I've said that before. Sean McDermott doesn't like to cut Brandon Bean's most recent draft picks, especially not in the year when they take them. However, stylistically, the life cycle of a team changes and you might not want to cut them earlier in the life cycle of a rebuild. And that might change. It's the same thing with the trade up and trade down. You're going to hear me talk a lot this offseason that now it's time to start trading down. Before, when you're trying to get your franchise quarterback, you're trying to get some cornerstone players, you might want to be a trade-up team. And then later on, when the onus shifts to you to get a higher quantity of rookie contracts, now the onus is, we got to trade down. We got to acquire more stuff because we're going to have to let people walk and we need more cracks. This is the same thing with roster building. It's the same concept that, hey, we might want to do things a little differently than we have historically done them because the roster necessitates that we do that. And so even though Jake Fromm was a fifth round pick, I don't think that that by itself is enough to hang around anymore. I love that thought process and agree 100%. I, I think that is the pivot we'll see from Brandon Bean. Love the the path you're taking to show people that. Okay, we're going to start with running backs next. We're not going to start with running backs. We already started, but we're going to go to running backs next. And I am going to go on first on this one. I have us keeping four. I have it being Singletary, Moss, Yeldon, and Taiwan Jones. I think that TJ Yeldon stays for me in this example. I would not keep him. Let me be very clear about this. I would not keep him. However, I do think that having somebody as a veteran in that room who's a running back rather than a veteran in that room who's a special teams player matters. I mentioned earlier when I did my 53-man roster projections and Sean McDermott's desire to have a veteran in the room, I asked whether or not Taiwan Jones counts as that veteran for the purposes of running back. But Taiwan Jones isn't a running back. Taiwan Jones is a special teams player that happens to be in the running back room. Taiwan Jones is just as much of a running back as Tyler Matikiewicz is a linebacker. And because of that, I don't think he counts as a running back in the room. And I'm not entirely sure Pat DeMarco counts as a running back in the room. And because of that, I'm going to hang on to Yeldon. I would not keep him, but I'm not Sean McDermott. This is intended to be predictive based on what he has said in the past and based on the tendencies. And I think that one of the other things that Sean McDermott has a tendency to do is go heavier at positions that I don't think he should necessarily go heavier at. And one of those is running back. So I have Singletary Moss, Yeldon, Taiwan Jones. Greg? So this is one where I have a slight pivot, and it's exactly along the lines of where you said. I have it at three. I have it at Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, and Taiwan Jones. Um, I have TJ Yeldon as probably my most surprising cut out of my list. Um, but I think that the re-signing of Antonio Williams. I'm going to try to read the tea leaves there, that that is their plan rather than having their third running back be a game day inactive, which TJ Yeldon was an awful lot last year, meaning that he doesn't actually help on game day. It was a break glass in case of emergency if you had an injury, um, which we saw when uh, Frank Gore got hurt and, and that we had some of those stretches and lost Devin Singletary for a couple games. Um, I think that they're going to go with more of a contingency plan 
cheaper option. It's one of the lower level little skim areas. I think it's 1.65 million we can retain by going that route. Uh, so I do have it projected as three running backs on the active roster and Antonio Williams and Christian Wade both on the practice squad, but TJ Yeldon being one of the, I guess you'd call it a surprise cut uh, from my standpoint. And that would be not shocking for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see that. Hey, you know, I, I really think we should have hung on to TJ Yeldon. I, there was a lot of buzz behind TJ Yeldon as potentially being RB2 this year, and I was I was not in on that at all. I was yeah. not interested in having TJ Yeldon be RB2. So I would be pleased if that was the case, and we went with three so that we could devote that roster spot elsewhere. I'm rooting for you to be right in this case. We are going to move to fullback. Greg, fullback. So I, I had warned you pre-show that I have a little chicanery uh, mixed in here. Uh, this is one where I see a Jason Kroom, Kirk Coleman kind of swap where I think Patrick DeMarco makes the opening roster. The next day is moved to IR and they then at that point re-sign Reggie Gilliam. I think the new rules for this year are going to allow savvy teams to really manipulate the IR rules for anyone who's not familiar. Uh, previously, you you know, you had to make the opening day roster be placed on injured reserve, be pre-designated to return, and have to wait eight weeks. And there was only two of those per team as the season went. They shuffled some of those things around. I think last year they changed it that you didn't have to pre-designate it, but it was still eight weeks and still only two. This year they shift that to three weeks and unlimited. That anyone who makes the opening 53 roster can be placed on IR, be moved there, return in only three weeks, and an unlimited amount of players can do that. Um, I think you're going to see savvy teams really lean heavily into that uh, to be able to manage the roster, shuffle between practice squad and active roster, along with the rules that you touched on in the opening where you can do two-week stretches as a 54th and 55th guy. I think this is the first place we see it. I think DeMarco hasn't practiced all the training camp. Um, I, I think that there's a reasonable chance he's not ready and that they can ease him back in, but I think he has value to the organization to the point where they want to see that. And if they decide that, hey, Reggie Gilliam is playing really well, why don't you just keep being the sage voice in the room but not have to come play? And they can then play that role go along those lines. If he struggles, they bring him back when he's ready. I have Patrick DeMarco making the opening 53 for one day, being placed on IR, and then re-signing Reggie Gilliam to be added into that spot the day after. I like it. I'm for it. I also have Patrick DeMarco making the 53-man roster. I think that whether or not my method, because I have a little, um, a little, what you call it, chicanery? But let's, <laughs> let's go up. Tomfoolery. Some bamboozling going on. On uh, my 53-man roster projection, I also have Patrick DeMarco. I think that whether or not the team utilizes my method or your method is going to depend entirely on how bad DeMarco's neck really is. Yeah. I think that there, the reason why I went with DeMarco over Gilliam, because I had made the comment on a previous podcast that if it was me, I would, I would use Gilliam, given how infrequently you use a fullback, and given the fact that having Gilliam on the field will allow you to do some things that... You can't do with Patrick DeMarco on the field and allow you to make 21 personnel potentially a more well-rounded formation and personnel grouping. I really felt like if it was me, I would, I would keep Gilliam over DeMarco, but this isn't about me. So the thing that really stuck out to me as far as Patrick DeMarco and Sean McDermott was two things. Number one, he said, we really miss Pat. That's a unique thing. He doesn't talk about how much he misses injured players. That never happens. He always talks about next man up. And so when that happened, it kind of 
r- bells and whistles and alarms went off in my head and danger will Robinson danger. It was, it was very odd for me. I was like, he doesn't really talk about how much he misses players who aren't around. And I was like, that's unusual. And then when he went to go talk about Josh Norman, he said, we know what Josh Norman gives me. Like, I, I know what he offers as if, yeah, I know he's got a hamstring, but he doesn't need to prove anything to me. I know what he, what I know what he brings to the table. Well, if that's the case for a player that Sean McDermott hasn't played with in years, how much more so would that then be the case for someone who has a C on his chest and has been a staple since, since McDermott got here? So those two things in combination made me say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking DeMarco. Whether that's for one day, like you said, and then move him around, or whether that's he's going to be ready for opening week, either way, I think they go DeMarco. Okay. Yeah. We are going to go to tight ends now. And the reason we're going to go to tight ends is because it directly relates to something I just talked about. I like it. I have four. Knox, Croft, Smith, Gilliam. I love it. Okay, now here's what I'm doing here. What I'm doing is I'm using the fourth spot, putting Tommy Sweeney on the pup. I am using the fourth spot to protect against DeMarco not being ready. So I I don't want to screw up my ability to just not have a fullback at all on the roster because when you have a fullback and you have him ready or not ready, that binary can change a lot about your game plan. If you remember the jets game plan last year was pretty heavy on DeMarco. We split him out wide. I don't know if that's going to be the game plan again by any means, but it's an example of how, if you go from having a fullback to just not having one at all, that really messes up that game plan. So I don't know if you necessarily want to expose Gilliam to waivers, not because he's such a good player and we can't possibly imagine, you know, the idea we can't live without him. It's that if DeMarco isn't ready to go when we need him ready to go, we need to have somebody so we can at least still run those plays. And the way we protect him is we put Tommy Sweeney on the pup and we throw Gilliam in the fourth tight end spot, which is inactive on game days most of the time anyway. And then if DeMarco's ready, then great, we can cut Gilliam and move it around. And if he's not ready, then we at least have someone there. So I have protected the team in the event of DeMarco not being ready in the same way that you protected the team. I just went about doing it a different way. In regards to Croft, I have no absolute, absolutely no idea why people are suggesting that Tyler Croft gets cut. There is zero financial benefit. And one of the reasons why the team restructured him, one of the reasons why the team does these things is they trade hey, you know what? You're on thin ice. You might get cut. Why don't we do this in exchange for us making more money guaranteed, or in this case, all the money guaranteed this year, and you knowing that you're going to have a job, we'll take a year off your contract and everybody wins. You get to the security of not know, of knowing you're probably not going to get cut and we get some cap relief and you get to hit the market a little bit earlier if you prove you're healthy. Like the entire reason he did that was for... I don't want to say an assurance because I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but for a high probability of him not getting cut. It's the same thing with Lee Smith as to why he's there. There's really no reason to cut Lee Smith. So for me, the top three tight ends are almost locked in stone. I can't imagine a possibility of it not being Knox Croft Smith. And then the Gilliam thing simply to protect the investment with DeMarco in the event that he's not ready to go week one and they still want to utilize fullback. Love the logic. I, I'm spot on. Uh, I have the the same structure: Knox, Smith, Croft, Sweeney to pup. Um, I, I love the the structuring of of where you set Gilliam. I I had this debate with a handful of people on Twitter when you know I think 
people thought that he got moved to tight end yesterday because people discovered it yesterday. He's been listed as a tight end on the website for two weeks now. Um, he got his number changed yesterday, which as far as I'm aware is a player requested move. So when he came aboard, undrafted free agents literally get the bottom of the barrel of numbers is no different than you know you saw last year Devin Singletary started as 40 and switched to 26 so I think as a number came available that he was more interested in he moved to that number um I I don't think it changes who he is he's always been a fullback h-back move tight end special teams guy that can do a lot of things your show describing the versatility was perfect and I agree a hundred percent in that role. And have always said that I thought he is the 2021 and future fullback of the team in the more versatile role. We want that to be. I just wasn't sure if 2020 was the year and Patrick DeMarco not practicing has forced that. Um, Tommy Sweeney is a freebie on pup. He has, didn't, hasn't passed his physical for anyone who asks a question about what's IR, what's pup. That's usually the differentiator there. If you haven't passed your physical yet, you're eligible to transition over to pup without being the regular from preseason to regular season without being exposed to waivers it's kind of a free stash for a guy like that so there's really not much benefit in activating him in the next two weeks here because we get a freebie to be able to hide him uh, and then can activate him after six weeks like you laid out i know people call for lee smith and tyler croft's heads all the time they're functional nfl roster caliber tight ends who would get picked up by somebody else and there's no financial benefit to cutting them so um i think it's dawson knox lee smith tyler croft with a bullet uh i think Kroom has a shot at the practice squad but i don't think he's a priority do you remember Derek schumann greg <laughs> you <I> <laughs> yeah i really feel like if Derek schumann would have been drafted to a team that valued the type of versatility he might have been able to give us a little something I think of I think of Derek Schumann often when I think of that, you know, because, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about Derek Schumann when I'm alone. So, I mean, clearly, you know, and that's that's really what we should be thinking about. We shouldn't have been thinking about him, you know, Reggie Gilliam as a fullback in the traditional sense of the word. He is a traditional sense of it, but. In an and, and to be world, clear, that's but, what he mainly did at Toledo. He, he did line up in sure. the backfield and lead block. That was the majority of what he sure. did. But, you know, given the athleticism and given the fact that what the modern I talked a lot about the modern fullback in my previous spot about the fullback quandary and how there are still some specialists. The Ravens fullback specifically comes to mind as a very effective fullback who's actually a two way player, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of fullbacks out there who are the reason why they give you value is because they do multiple things. And although, you know, although we have a fullback who was lauded for his versatility coming out of South Carolina. He just doesn't have the athleticism for that versatility yeah. to matter in the NFL. He, I didn't know. know the 4940 until you had referenced it. And I was like, wow, that's slow. <laughs> that's yeah. So slow. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, uh, not great, Bob, as we say. And it's just, it's just, he is a below, he was below average when he was at his athletic prime. So yeah. because of that, that athleticism, the versatility that we saw on tape in South, South Carolina just never translated because he, it's not good enough athlete for it to translate. Well, and like you said, that there's a lot fewer James Devlins in the league now. Like the with the rolled shoulder, you know, the roll around the neck and the the huge shoulder pads and the three yards in a cloud of dust. There's just not that many of those guys anymore. And if if anyone wants to give themselves a upside of a wish list of what Reggie Gilliam could turn into, go look at Charles Clay in Miami before his knees went. Mm. It's yeah. that kind of guy. Like they used him as an H back, fullback, out of the backfield, six foot, 240, like more of that kind of guy. 
that's what Charles Clay was and that he we used him almost exclusively as a tight end, but he lined up in the backfield a ton for Miami before he came here. And that kind of versatile piece, I don't know that Reggie Gilliam has that much upside, you know, because people only remember the end of the bad contract. Charles Clay was a heck of a player at one point, um, but that that's the skill set that we're hoping for. For those of you who think I'm insane, Derek Schumann had a higher RAS score than Adrian Peterson coming out of <laughs> out of college. Derek Schumann was a better athlete for the fullback position than Adrian Peterson is for the running back position. He had a 9.63 RAS score coming out of Boise State. So in the event that you all think I'm crazy, yeah, I brought receipts, baby. I brought receipts. And that level of athleticism is unique. And to be fair, that's a Reggie Gilliam is extremely good athlete for his size. And that's the type of thing that you could potentially do. So moving along, we spent a long time on tight ends and fullbacks as we should, because they're that important to the team wide receivers. Now I have been pounding the table for us to keep seven. He has historically kept six. Greg, what's it going to be? I've got six. I do. I have John Brown, Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley written in stone, Andre Roberts, Right there with him. I think he's a lock regardless of how many people try to argue with us on, on Twitter. Uh, Gabe Davis has clearly has his own dedicated hype train now. I have Isaiah Hodgins is the last one. I'm leaning into the draft pick thing. I'm leaning into the fact that he's a sixth round pick in the 2020 wide receiver draft class sense. I don't think that he's a traditional sixth round pick value. I was right with you. I had him slightly graded above Gabe Davis. He had the best catch rate in all all the receivers coming out. Um, I think he does all the things we want Duke Williams to be able to do a little bit better. And that maybe that's not day one, but your sixth receiver is often a game day inactive anyways. I'd rather lean into that long-term development and not expose that risk uh, with some of the other teams who've had injuries at receiver and that we could lose them. I have McKenzie, Foster, and Williams all as priority free agents. I don't think we get them all back on the practice squad. I don't. Um, I think that we're going to lose one of them, maybe two, um, and that that's okay. And that the if the penalty of Brandon Bean building the deepest roster of my adult life is me having to watch Duke Williams and the Jets, I'll live with it. I also have six. The only difference is I have a different Isaiah. I have Ah. Isaiah McKenzie as the sixth. You have Isaiah Hodgins as the sixth. So I have Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Davis, Roberts, McKenzie. Again, I will say this. I would prefer it your way. So far, I like your 53-man roster better than mine, Greg. I would prefer (laughs) Isaiah Hodgins. Yes, I prefer yours greatly. However, there is a strange affection to Isaiah McKenzie. I've noticed it. From this regime and they really, really value the role that he plays, however minimal it may be. I would very much like to have known whether or not any of the other wide receivers in 11 on 11 drills were taking jet sweep actions, but they're not allowed to tell us that. So I only have the following to go off of, which is when asked about Isaiah McKenzie, the coaches beam about Isaiah McKenzie. And that doesn't sound like someone you're trying to sneak through waivers you know, you're probably going to say he's has a long way to go like Reggie Gilliam yes, or something that like that. Not an accident. <laughs> and Isaiah McKenzie, as as poor of a returner as he is, still serves as an ability to be able to do those types of things to back up Andre Roberts. And they like him in that spot. And, you know, if if 
if Andre Roberts were to go down, they probably have Micah Hyde back there catching punts. But if they need a returner, McKenzie's your next guy up. I don't like that. I have long said that I think that the failure of this regime to be able to address two specific positions, the backup quarterback spot and returner depth are an issue for me personally. And this is one of the things that happens when you have that. You have to hang on to players like Isaiah McKenzie, who I would prefer not to hang on to, but I would very much like them to take seven. I would like three tight ends and seven wide receivers. I've been saying this forever, but I just don't see it. It's a little bit like the cornerback issue. Every single time they activate four corners for a game, I lose my ever-living marbles. I walk into the Bills backers bar and I find the first person who will make eye contact with me and I go, what is McDermott doing? The second one corner gets banged up. Now you've got safeties dropping down. And I just, I hate it, but he just keeps doing it. And I think it's one of those things where he's just going to keep doing it. I respect it. You know what? I appreciate that you respect it. Along the lines of respect, let's go to the big uglies up front, Mm -hmm. people who deserve to get respect and some, maybe some odd maneuvering going on on the right side of this offensive line. And I'm going to let you start with the offensive line. Greg, how many are we keeping? Who are they? And what ends up happening on the right side of that line? Okay, so I think obviously there's a couple easy ones. Deion Dawkins, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morris locked in. That's your left side. I right now am going to read the tea leaves of the reports that we're getting and even a couple of behind the scenes whispers of people who are at the practices. It seems pretty definitive. It's Cody Ford at right guard and Daryl Williams at right tackle. That I'm I feel 90% confident that's what we see on the first play in against the Jets. I think Ty Inseki, I've heard some people bring him up. I get the call for, hey, maybe that's a creative way to save some money. It is maybe $3.5 million. It's not nothing. Um, he was really good last year. He was better than Cody Ford at right tackle last year, if we're being honest. And I think he is, uh, you know, people who heard me go on my rant last year about every single team's third tackle is not a swing tackle a swing tackle is a skill set it's not a position and that you know just because you're the third tackle doesn't mean you can play both we have one we have a genuine swing tackle in Ty Inseki uh so he's my sixth guy I have Ryan Bates I I love him less than most of our fan base people say oh but he plays five positions well and I counter with yeah all of them poorly it's great um John Feliciano is obviously there I'll, I'll get to him in a moment I have Brian Winters and Evan Bame. So I have 10 making it for a day. I think they do the same thing with Patrick DeMarco and they then immediately move John Feliciano over to IR and then boom, seven wide receivers. Isaiah McKenzie's back day two. Oh, come on. It's a freaking sleight of hand going on here. You can have your cake and eat it too, because you get to say, I got this right. And then if they make one of the two moves, you're like, look, I got it right. Clearly I got it right. Did you listen to my pod yesterday, Greg? You didn't listen to my pod yesterday about taking the L, about how important it is to be able to keep ego out of decision-making, to be able to get the best decision-making moving forward. Greg, seriously. For anyone who follows me, listens to me, knows me, keeping ego out of my decision is simply not on the table. It's it's simply not an option. I'm not capable of it, but I'm self-aware and I know it. So I I use that as my excuse. Fine. Fine. (laughs) Okay. 
I have nine offensive linemen. I have Dawkins, Spain, Morse, Ford, and Williams. I agree with you. I think Cody Ford is the right guard. I'm thrilled, by the way, Agreed. about Agreed. Cody Ford being a right guard. I think that Cody Ford could be a good right guard this year, yeah. right now. By, by accident or on purpose, I'll take it any way I can get it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not time for me to nanny, nanny, poo poo all the people who yelled at me and when I said he was a right guard when we drafted him, but <laughs> it's not time yet. We're not, we're not there, but just so yeah, you know, hey, if you're listening to this like and you were one of those four. people, it's coming. It yeah, is coming. When he road grades somebody in week four right. from the guard position, we, I'll, I'll, I'll tee you up uh, very, very comfortably. It's coming. Hashtag Petty Bruce will be trending on Twitter. It will be a real thing. I, I let my Petty out for like a brief second every year. Last year was after the Dol- after the Broncos game, if you remember correctly. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, I it was so- out for a brief second. <laughs> well, they deserved it. They, they, they queued that up. They did deserve it. You know what? And that's why I'm going to justify it to myself when this happens. Because, dudes, I've got screenshots. I have so many screenshots. On my phone, I'm going to pull it up right now, okay? I have on my phone, let's see how much you know general battery space I have available. Um, let's see. I have a, I think I have a 32 gig phone. And I think 14 gigs are taken from photos. I'll bet you... <laughs> Nine of those 13 gigs that are taken from photos, I'll bet you nine of them are screenshots. That's so just fantastic. waiting. Just literally, I'm, I'm lying in the weeds, just waiting for the right time to pounce. So don't, you know, don't don't be ashamed when the time comes because, you know, we all, we all, get, we all get it a little bit. Okay, moving on. So those are the top five I have. I agree with you. I think Daryl Williams' resurgence plus John Felicio Anno's injury uh, kind of opens the door for them and gives them an excuse to have Cody Ford be a right guard. Yeah. I think that they probably needed one. I don't think if Feliciano would have gotten hurt, this would have happened. And, but, and I'll it, add for, for anyone who was curious, um, I have Brian Winters holding the seat warm until John Feliciano returns. I have Brian Winters not making the team. Here we go. That's right. Bates, Inseki, Botker, Bame, and Feliciano. There are... If you think Cody Ford is going to be a right guard, then the team likes to keep backups who have versatility and Brian Winters doesn't have any. Um, Ike Butker does. Evan mm-hmm. Bame does. Ty Secchi does. Ryan Bates does. I cannot think off the top of my head of a backup offensive lineman that they have kept that didn't have positional versatility at all. I would... I would say that I think Spencer Long's ability to play center was more theoretical than practical. Really? I mean, I know that I know that they moved Feliciano over, but I mean, Spencer Long had just come off a year where he played center with a bad hand, mind you. He played center yeah, with a bad yeah, hand. I, I, I give him that it, it was probably more of that. I just always read into the fact that it would have been a lot easier just to slot him straight in there. I, I always kind of was curious. At, at Interesting. I, I'm a little bit. So I think from a practical standpoint, you're spot on. I need to check into it more. The, the way that I'm reading it. And again, guys who get signed late in the season, we don't get great details on it. I think an awful lot of Brian Winner's money is guaranteed. Let's take and a I'm, look here. I'm curious in the way that they show that and that I, I, you know, from all the reports we get, he hasn't looked great. So maybe it was just a shot mm-hmm. in the dark that didn't work out. But if, if it's the way that, so I, I see differing reports on over the cap and spot track, which always gives me pause. Oh no, um, that's not good. 
So Spot Track has it as fully guaranteed a million dollar signing bonus and two million guaranteed, and that it's three million dead cap for a three million savings, and that we don't save a penny if we cut him, which might, you know, hey, when it comes down to roster uh spots, maybe that's the reason that we do. Mm-hmm. Hey, we can't afford we we need that roster spot more than we need the three million dollars. But that was my tiebreaker depending on how trustworthy that data is. Yeah, my argument with Winters, um, and, and and I actually I knew that there was a big part of that guaranteed when I made, made this kind of, it made, made it a very difficult call for me, but I think that when they signed him, they didn't necessarily know that they were going to move Cody Ford to right guard. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what happened since then. So if I didn't have that reasoning, I think I would have kept him. I think at the time they were like, well, we'll just plug winters in. And then winters, he, he showed up and he wasn't good. And they were like, oh crap. And then. <laughs> They say, okay, well, let's try Cody Ford there. They move Cody Ford. They're like, okay, that's better. Is Daryl Williams excelling at right tackle? Yes, he is. Now the question is, do I want to keep a backup guard who doesn't do anything? Winters is going to be fascinating because if he stays, it will be counter to everything that they've done in the past. And that's specifically that they will have kept him as a backup offensive lineman who doesn't have any versatility. And they will have done it strictly for contract implications, which is interesting. Now, I know that they're not opposed to losing assets. They lost it with Corey Coleman. They mm-hmm. traded for him. Now it's a seventh round pick, right? But they're not opposed to pulling the trigger and losing assets and saying, okay, well, you know what? It was worth a try. They're not opposed to that. And in this case, it hurts $3 million this year, but it doesn't hurt at all next year. I mean, it hurts $2 million this year, but it doesn't hurt at all next year. So... I go, I went back and forth. I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth about it. I just ended up with the, if I'm a backup lineman for this team, I got to play multiple spots. Now I would not be shocked at all if this is wrong. Now I, and every single 53 man roster projection that I've seen from other people oscillates on Brian Winters. They go back and forth on Brian Winters. People who are there physically in the stadium watching, they oscillate on Brian Winters. And it's like, goodness gracious, this is going to be interesting. Okay. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We have had discussions on offensive line. We've had discussions on the offense as a whole. We've had Brian Winters discussions that you didn't even know you needed in your life. And we're going to come back. We're going to start with defense. We're going to polish off the special teams, which are going to be just riveting conversation, the specialist conversation. And then we're going to put a bow on it. And it's going to be great. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about the offense for our 53-man roster projection. Now, we're going to talk about the defense. We had some differences. We, I think we worked them out. Greg Tomset from Cover One is here with me. I think we worked out our differences. I think we came to some reasonable agree-to-disagree conclusions. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I, honestly, very few differences. I, I think we had, from a personnel standpoint, I think we ended up maybe one guy different uh, for the offense. We had a couple differences in the path that we got there and maybe what spot people were listed under. But I really think on the on the front end, we ended up Ike Bakker and Brian Winters off or just you didn't yeah. have winners and I did. Maybe that was the only Yeah, guy. I think that's basically it. Because you you cheated though. You you kind of I mean, moved it around. And you were you were doing playing the shell game with people, and that's just <laughs> not fair. So moving to the defensive line, I'm gonna start because you went on on offensive line first. So the question with this one is 
Murphy or no Murphy? That's really the question on everybody's lips, but I'm not going to allow me to tease that for a second. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Ed Oliver, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, Harrison Phillips, AJ Appanessa, Daryl Johnson, Trent Murphy. Nine. I think they keep Trent Murphy. I did a 53 man roster projection earlier this year that was all based around the possibility of saving money. And because of that, in that projection, I cut Hauschka, I cut Inseki, and I cut Murphy. I'm not entirely sure they're not all in for 2020. And because of that, having a player you trust and someone who Sean McDermott speaks that highly of is worth the money. Is he overpaid? Yes. Is he a bum? No. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Someone being a bad value is not the same as someone being bad. Those are two completely different, you know, structures, constructs. Value is two parts. What you give versus what you get. Quality of player is just one half of that. Yep. Quality of player over value of contract. That's value. That's the guy. That's value. But we're not talking about whether or not he's a good value. We're talking about whether or not he's a good player. Because he can be a bad value and still be a player that is rosterable. You've said it before. Trent Murphy would be unemployed for five seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Or a day, I think is what you said. So I keep Trent Murphy on this. I don't necessarily know if he's going to start. I think we saw him when Chris Brown may or may not have been suspended for something he may or may not have disclosed (laughs) about Trent Murphy and Jerry Hughes being on the front of the lines. I do think that there's a possibility that we see a lot more of Jerry Hughes at left defensive end than we did historically. It's not like he's never played any left defensive end. And when it, when a question when came in, it was Mario Addison was historically a right defensive end. What was going to happen there? And I think ideally you'd like to start both of them. I think that we can agree Mario Addison's a better player than Trent Murphy. But I think that there's a possibility we see swapping, swapping, swapping. And one of the things we see is a little bit more Jerry Hughes at left defensive end. I think that if ever there was a year to go kind of steer into your skid. I think they really like Daryl Johnson too, four-phase special teams player, someone who I really think can be a versatile player who provides value to the team. Not an all-star player, but when you have these toolsy guys you take late, if they develop, you want to hang on to them. And Daryl Johnson developed a little bit. For being a seventh-round pick, I'm not saying he's, you know, the next great thing, but I think he showed some promising development for a seventh round toolsy pick. I mean, that's about as good as you can hope for, for a guy you pick almost entirely due to his frame in the seventh round who had very, very serious competition issues coming into the league. I think he makes the team too. I have defensive line nine, all of them literally give me all the defensive lines. Greg, what you got? I'm so depressed that you went first. (laughs) I have the exact same thing. I have all nine. I have Murphy and Daryl Johnson. Johnson was my final one. And in my, you know, sneaky chicanery on the front end, he was my debate of, I think you have a better chance of exposing Isaiah McKenzie to two waivers for one day than you do Daryl Johnson, because they were my 53rd guy between the two of them. And that I thought, okay, I think if you cut McKenzie to give it a day for Feliciano to go into IR, there's a better chance of McKenzie making it through and 
less downside if you miss him. Like if we if we whiff on that and somebody snags him, eh, all right. And then maybe you bring Duke Williams back or maybe you bring whoever back. Um, Daryl Johnson, there's at least a chance we end up upset about that. Now, I've gone out of my way to tell everyone he was really bad on defense last year, like to the point where they had to stop playing him over the entire second half of the year. But he was a legit special teamer, I think, with guys like Robert Foster and some other players that we've talked about not being there, you need some of those other pieces to chip in on special teams from a coverage standpoint. Daryl Johnson was a four-phase special teamer and contributed more than a defensive lineman normally does. I'm going to say he makes it from that standpoint. I think it's great that we have guys like Brian Cox Jr., Mike Love, Vince, Vincent Taylor, all being priority practice squad guys that I wouldn't be shocked if all three get claimed by other teams, uh, but hopefully we snag one or two of those guys back. I love your projection. I agree wholeheartedly in the overall waves of defensive linemen. When I had Brandon Thorne on my show, um, he went through and got me all excited because he talked about the similarities between that Super Bowl run by the Eagles and that there was no superstar Von Miller. You know, there was no, you know, Julius Peppers on that defensive line. It was just eight starting caliber defensive linemen who came at you play after play after play and it wore you down and by the third and fourth quarter they started getting home over and over again and I think that's what the Bills can do and that wouldn't shock me you know I know that Sean McDermott wasn't the Eagles coordinator at that time but there are there are tendencies that Sean McDermott likes and one of them is defensive line play he's shown that in Carolina Brandon Bean was part of a a GM group uh, ownership and presidential group in Carolina that all believed in the strength of defensive line. For goodness sake, they drafted a first round defensive tackle and everyone looked around and went, where are you going to put him? Like you already have somebody in that spot. That's how much they believe in it. That guy happens to be on our team now. His name is Vernon Butler. So I I, I agree with you about the waves of defensive line. I will say that Tanzel Smart, I think, is a priority uh, practice squad guy as well. I hear rumors that they've been very impressed with Tanzel Smart. I think that Vincent Taylor and Tanzel Smart both end up as people they want to add to the practice squad. Linebackers, Greg, you are up first. So I ended up going with six, and this is one that has vacillated more than others recently. Um, Obviously, the top four are really easy. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano are our studs, going to play 100% of snaps. We need to all pray that they stay healthy every single moment of the season. AJ Klein's going to be that third linebacker. He's also the backup. So when people say, oh my gosh, what happens if one of them gets hurt? People need to realize AJ Klein will go from 20% of snaps to the 100% of snaps and somebody will back up AJ Klein as the third linebacker. He is our backup for Edmonds and Milano, and he's going to play 20% of snaps plus special teams. Tyler Medikevich was signed as a special teams maven, led the NFL in special teams tackles multiple times, really solid player. I have... I'm reading into the trade of Andre Smith as an indication they're not pleased with the special teams contributions of Voshan Joseph and or Corey Thompson and that they needed to go out and get a guy that Heath Farwell obviously vouched for and I'm going to guess lobbied for and brought over. He played the second most special team snaps in Carolina. I don't think he's not on the level of Tyler Medikevich from a special teams player. I think he can be a game day contributor. And I have the real backup linebacker for the three as Tyrell Dodson. And I that shocks me to say because I really felt like that would have been Voshan Joseph, and it has been for probably seven months now. I have Voshan Joseph getting cut. I, I think that he's just hasn't shown enough. He had some delays in his processing coming out. 
I'm not hearing that that has changed and that if they traded for Andre Smith, that's an indication to me that he's also not picking up on the special teams piece of it. I hope they can get it back on the practice squad and we can develop him. I think there's some physical skills there, but I have six with Klein, Edmonds, Milano, Matikevich, Andre Smith, Tyrell Dotson. I have the exact same six as you. 100% <laughs> agreement in all of the things. I literally have nothing to add. I'm going through my brain going, what can I contribute to this conversation? Bruce, quick, say something. Sound intelligent. And I've got literally nothing. I have literally nothing to add. I think that there's a reason they hung on to Tyrell Dotson through all the issues that he had last year. I, yes, I think yes. that cutting Voshan Joseph um, at year two, I think doesn't necessarily count. There's lots of people who got drafted, who got cut year two. You know, the whole, I don't want to cut draft picks things that, that goes out the window after the rookie year. Oh yeah. For sure. And Voshan Joseph is one of those players where unless his processing has gotten markedly better. And in that case, we would have heard something about it. And the fact that we didn't is concerning. I don't like the idea of having two of your linebackers be basically special teams only players. I don't like it. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean they're not going to do it. They do lots of things I don't want them to do. <laughs> that happens all the time. There's no red phone that goes directly to Bruce when Brandon Bean is trying to make decisions. Thank God we'd be all be a disaster. Everything would be on fire if that was the case. But I have the exact same list of six linebackers as you. Going to corner, I have us keeping five. White, Norman, Wallace, Johnson, Neal. They never keep as many corners as I want them to keep. Ever. <laughs> ever. They never keep. Why would you keep six, seven wide receivers and only keep five corners? I don't understand why anybody does that. I would keep, If I was me, I would keep six, seven corners every single year. But you know full well my bias toward this position. But I this do, isn't I about me. Clear. Very, very clear. Clear as crystal. But... I think this is fairly obvious. The only question is, do you list Neal as a safety or corner? Historically, they've listed him as a corner. They made that shift last offseason. And then do you think that Dane Jackson, do you think Cam Lewis makes this team? And if you have a seventh round pick, I don't think it's necessarily not going to be an issue. I think that one of the things that's important is that Brandon Bean said he specifically picked Dane Jackson because he thought a corner would have the higher chance of making the team. Yeah. That's important. So that means it's not like he was so good of a prospect they had to pick him. They picked him because they were like, well, what if we decide to keep six corners, right? Yeah. Then in that case, maybe we'll have room for him. In this case, they didn't have room for him. It was pretty cut and dry for me. Greg? Uh, I, I'm very close. I did lean into six. So I, um, I, obviously, White, Norman, Wallace, Johnson, Serenio are in stone. We are keeping those five for sure. This was kind of an interesting debate on is the last guy, is there, is there a last guy for one? Um, or is it more special teams or as a backup, you get into Brian Allen and that they picked him up from Pittsburgh. He's been a special teams contributor. You've heard good things about Cam Lewis, but I think he's an easy practice squad stash. I just don't think he's a likely claim by another team that has no film on him. Um, I did lean into Dane Jackson over Brian Allen as keeping Andre Smith was filling that special teams role and that I think Dane Jackson has some potential to maybe be a both a, a Taron Johnson and a CB2 backup you know break glass in case of emergency guy likely a game day inactive but um I did have 6 in that room I continue to like your 53 man roster projection better than mine <laughs> I like the wide receiver moves better than mine I like the fact that we didn't waste money on cutting 
uh, Brian Winters line. I like the fact that we kept more corners. I like yours better. You want to like, this is like the lunchroom when you were a kid and go, Hey man, I got two puddings. If I give you one of my puddings, will you give me half your sandwich? You got a lunchable. I want a lunchable. I want a lunchable. Give me some of your tots. (laughs) Napoleon, give me some of your tots. Anyway, moving along safety. I would be shocked if this looked crazy deal different at this point. I, I, how many you got, Greg? It, it's the easiest one on the roster. There's four. It's Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Jaquan Johnson, Dean Marlowe. I forgot Josh Thomas is on the roster until I did this exercise. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> so four safeties, Hyde, Poyer, Marlowe, Johnson. I think Marlowe's first man up in both cases. I think Jaquan Johnson yep. has proven himself as a special teams player. He's not somebody you want playing meaningful snaps because of his lack of range and lack of overall athleticism on the defensive side of the ball. But again, we're leaning into special teams a little bit here. Specialists. Now, this one's really tough, Greg. Super difficult. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. I'm going to go Tyler Bass. Corey Bohorkas, Reed Ferguson. What do you got? I am shocked and appalled that you would make such an egregious decision here. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is funny that they took the steam out of this and that there was some really fun debate. And and for anyone who, who hasn't had a chance to listen, uh, my partner in crime, Aaron Quinn, is back with me for the season. And he was a big Hauschka advocate from the trust standpoint we're all in on this season it's too important to just trust a rookie i don't know i think they're going to lean into the guy they trust and i you know it was a healthy debate like i i was team bass like i wanted the leg i wanted the potential i wanted the rookie contract i wanted the little bit of money um all those pieces of it that i i was a little surprised that they did and i think it was honestly a nod to Stephen Hauschka and the the classy veteran he had been to give him a chance. And you've seen him. He already has workouts with the Titans, with the Giants. Um, I think he's going to land somewhere and get himself a shot. So we had the good end of a competition there where we, you know, we had a zero uh, downside play there where we had two starting caliber kickers. We then had the lesser of evils battle of three different lesser of evils punters that, um, Corey Bajorquez continues to survive regardless of who they throw at him. Um, and that I'm going to blindly hope that some comments by our friend Joe Biscalia in that he's seen more consistency and a better trajectory that I think you would agree. Talent has never been the issue with Corey Bajorquez. He can mm-hmm. bomb the ball like anybody. It's just maddening inconsistency. And in that I made the example on, on our last show that one guy who has a 50 yard punt, a 50 yard punt and a 24 yard punt and another who has three 42 yard punts all technically have the same average. But if you have that 24 yard punt at the wrong time, it really sucks in that that's what we've gotten with Bajorquez. He's never, he has some bombs and, and they're really fun when he does them, but just the shanks off the side of the foot that he continues to do we we have to see more. So I, I'm going to blindly hope that he harnesses that. And I, I don't know the, the trending well enough to know does that happen for some guys do some guys click in their third year is that a thing um but you know it, it did take a little wind out of the sails of what could have been some fun debate with Lachlan Edwards and Stephen Hauschka and that those are our guys for the season I don't know enough about punting development to have this conversation <laughs> I need to do some reading some light reading on a you know I'm gonna do some Pat light reading on a it's for the brand that's right Pat McAfee I, I'll DMO on Twitter see if he responds so the the thing that I think is interesting about Tyler Bass is I think that that Brandon Bean really tipped his hand early when he openly admitted 
his affection and propensity for the bigger leg during a discussion with pardon my take before the draft. And he openly said, you know, I'd rather have somebody who at least gave me that option from deep. And I think that if Hauschka wasn't able to recapture 50 plus yard leg, that he was pretty much doomed, regardless of whether or not we trust him, regardless of whether or not he was consistent, because Brandon Bean says, listen, man, more options are better than less options. And if we run into a scenario where the available options to me have dwindled from go for it, punt, field goal to go for it, punt, I don't like that. I don't like those options being taken from me. And I don't think Sean McDermott likes that either. So I think that Tyler Bass, unless he fell on his face, was going to have the inside leg, pun intended, on this particular job. And I'm not shocked it ended up this way. I am shocked about the Corey Bohorkas thing. I went on record as saying that I thought Lachlan Edwards was a uh, a mediocre punter at best, but at least he was consistently mediocre. Correct. And so I would he, say he that, almost is that average that I talked about. Yeah, he's he not going to get you the every time. Yeah, he's not going to get you the 50 yarder. He's not going to uncork a crazy one, but he also didn't shank him and he would get you the consistent one. And I'm a little surprised they didn't lean that way. You know, I think it's really interesting when you look back on some of the personnel decisions that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have made. They almost always go for upside with inconsistency. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's interesting to kind of study them is because they believe so strongly in their coaching that they take quarterbacks like Josh Allen and punters like Corey Bohorkas and kickers like Tyler Bass and linebackers like Tremaine Edmonds. They take these freaky athletes who can have upsides that no one else can have and just say, you know what? I believe in our coaches. Well, and some of them end up being, some of them end up being Voshan Joseph and some of them end up being Robert Foster, but some of them end up being Gabe Davis. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. We probably should have seen it coming. I think that that's one of the things that's interesting about Brandon Bean, and we should probably keep that in mind when we are thinking about free agents that they would sign and draft picks they would take and things like that. I think he has a tendency at this point. I think it's fair to say he has not necessarily a type, but he has a tendency. So that's it. Okay, so. My biggest surprise, your biggest surprise. I'm going to go ahead and start. My biggest surprise, of course, is cutting Brian Winters. Whenever you cut someone who you thought was going to be a starter when you brought him in and he has guaranteed money on his deal, that's insane. So I will openly admit that that is (laughs) the biggest insanity of all of this. That The biggest insanity is not stashing Reggie Gilliam as the fourth tight end and keeping him there in the event that John Feliciano, sorry, John Feliciano, Patrick DeMarco isn't ready. And if he is ready, cutting Gilliam, trying to pass him through the practice squad later and bringing on a seventh wide receiver or a sixth corner. That's not crazy. The crazy thing is cutting Brian Winters when he has guaranteed money and you thought he was going to start. But I've seen them be willing to leave assets on the table before, albeit a seventh round pick is not an asset is as great as $2 million guaranteed. However, that's my crazy move. Greg, what's the craziest thing you did? So, I mean, I, I think cutting TJ Yeldon and only going three running backs is not going to be the most common path. I think most people are going to assume that we stick with three running backs and four total in that room, or uh, sorry, uh, four running backs, including Taiwan Jones. So I think that's a little out of the norm. And then uh, my riskiest one is assuming that you can get sneaky, like I said, and be able to assume you get both Isaiah McKenzie and Reggie Gilliam back after exposing them to waivers. And that I would trust Brandon Bean if he thought that they had a better chance of Isaiah Hodgins passing through waivers or Ryan Bates or some other player that I still, I, I actually do 
believe pretty strongly that I think we see two moves like that with DeMarco and Feliciano. Feliciano's a guarantee that they're going to put him onto mm-hmm. the IR. It's too easy. His best case scenario is that he's back after three weeks. Well, that's how the IR works. So they're going to get one freebie for sure. So I think that unless Patrick Marco practices here soon, he's also going to be on that path. So then it's really just a game theory kind of logic of who do you have the best chance of sneaking through there and getting back. Um, We do have one other move that would allow that to happen, and we don't have very many of them. So last year you saw that with Kurt Coleman. Evan Bame is the only guy who really fits the criteria to do the Kurt Coleman move. He is a vested veteran who is currently taking advantage of the veteran minimum, meaning that cutting him and signing him back for the veteran minimum doesn't really lose him anything. He also has only a $25,000 signing bonus, and there's there's no downside to working with him. So he has a $910,000 salary, but only 875 counts against or you know, has that kind of minimum right. salary shuffle. They could easily give him a, hey, thanks for being patient, $100,000 signing bonus when he comes back, and that he could be the freebie because he doesn't get exposed to waivers. So that's where you could actually have Reggie Gilliam not get exposed to waivers, Isaiah McKenzie not get exposed to waivers, have him just wait in the parking lot for a day and then re-sign. But he's really the only one that I can identify that has that option. In theory, Reed Ferguson would as well, but he actually signed a multi-year deal. Um, so there's just not that many guys who fit in. The, it's because how how great uh, Brandon Bean has done is at building the veteran depth. Most of our veteran depth makes more than the minimum. We don't have that many veteran minimum guys. If they're at a minimum, they're rookie contract guys. So the one sneaky one we have is Evan Bame. So keep an eye out for that one. I think they should actually make them wait in the parking lot for a day. <laughs> I feel like that would make a really good reality show. Like follow Evan Bame in the parking lot of Bill's Stadium, formerly known as New Era Field. Should a side note, we should have called it the field formerly known as New Era Field, right? I mean, can we uh, we can agree on this, right? Yeah, yes. That is a that is a miss. That is a just miss. Get some sort of hybrid symbol that looks like partially like the Bills logo, but partially like the New Era logo, and just call it just slap the symbol on there. What is it? What's the symbol? What was the symbol? Well, it's the it's the stadium formerly known as New Era, New Era Field. A, a huge missed marketing opportunity. I can I, see I branding it. and T-shirts and hats and everything. I just, I don't know. I should work in marketing. Anyway. Mr. Colin. Greg, thank you so much for joining me, man. This is a I ton really of fun. This is a ton I, of fun. I, I really appreciate it. Tell the folks where they can find you. Tell them what Cover One is up to. I know you guys are up to two pods a week now. Aaron Quinn is back. There's a Sunday show. There's a Wednesday show. Tell them what's going on there. Yeah, we're really excited. It's, uh, you know, I, I know the challenges that you and our friend Joe Marino have in hosting a solo show. And I, I tried to hold the fort down during the off season and I did lean into a lot of guests to do it. Um, uh, but it's tough and I I'm excited. The natural chemistry you have with a partner. And I know you had that for a long time, um, is a fun experience to be able to have that back and forth. And I, I enjoy it when I get to come on with you and Joe, I think it's fun to talk with guys that you, you trust and you respect their opinion on football. So, um, despite having someone I trust and respect to football, I have Aaron. Um, but, but, but I'm still excited to back we, we we have a great relationship he's he's genuinely one of my best friends and that um someone that i talk to literally every day so the whole time he was gone 
over the summer and since the uh, pre since the playoffs we've talked every day so i'm excited to have him back and, and the chemistry kicked right off from day one uh we're getting back into our two-a-day theme just like you said or two-a-week theme uh we're gonna have connor rogers of bleacher report on to preview the jets game on wednesday we are going to then do our post game show afterwards and we've got already folks lined up for the dolphins and for the rams and for the raiders and we'll do that all season long we'll have a, a guest from that market from the game to preview each wednesday We'll be on there for the raw emotional response right after the game. Even some of the crazy uh, post, you know, primetime games where we do it at midnight. Uh, we're going to be there for you. And we've actually switched over to a new format where we're doing uh, live interaction, where it goes live on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter all at the same time. And we can interact with everyone's comments. And, uh, you know, God bless some of the technology that's out there. They've made it pretty idiot proof. It's a lot of fun. So come on over, check us out um, at Cover One, at Greg Tomset. Uh, find us, uh, you know, subscribe anywhere that you're listening to this podcast. We're on all the same podcast platforms. So if you like, Bruce's work. Hopefully we're at least 75% that good. Well, the question is, do you have any guaranteed money on your contract or can I cut you? That's really <laughs> I the question. Always, I always have guaranteed money on my contract. That's right. Always, as any always. intelligent guy would always have guaranteed money. Greg, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate coming. I really appreciate being a part of this. I had a great time. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be everything for us. And a very special outro this time. Just kidding. It's the same outro as always because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.